Good morning, everyone. It sure is good to see everyone this morning. I'm so glad we're together, whether we're here in the room or we're online. Uh, we are together, and that is a great place to be. Amen? When I'm watching a movie or a TV show, like any of us, I enjoy the twists and the turns of the plot, as well as the arcs and the motivations of the interesting characters. It's those things together that really make a great story. And that's what we're doing in this series. We're looking at the story of Christmas, both its plot and especially its characters. I like to think about who is this character? Why do they do whatever they're doing? Uh, how are they reacting? How would I react in that situation? Right? And that's what we've been doing so far in this series of characters of Christmas. If last Sunday was kind of like a biopic about three people and their pivotal decisions that they made, then this week, this part of the story is more psychological political thriller, part mystery, part tragedy, all drama and intrigue and suspense. Last week, we read ourselves into the decisions that those characters made. This week, we're reminding ourselves of the drama that they faced. So we're going to be spending our time in Matthew chapter 2. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn there. If you want to pick up a Bible from the Bible carts, you are certainly free to get up and do that. We're going to be on page 657 and 58 this morning. And if you don't own an easy-to-read copy of the Bible, you can always write your name in the front of one of those, make it yours, and take it home to keep. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, right off the bat, we have to understand there's a real problem already happening here. There was already a so-called king of the Jews. So this announcement by these folks coming from far away was met with varying levels of stress and anxiety. Uh, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? They're in Jerusalem, the capital city, asking this question. Now, last week, we met Joseph and Mary in their humility. This week, we meet some players in the story that could not be more different. So let's learn about these characters. We've just had them introduced to us in this, these first uh, two or three verses. The Magi are also known as the wise men. And this is a really a pretty wild part of the Christmas story once you look at it. They were essentially astrologers who studied the heavens and consulted then leaders and royalty of countries in their region with their inside scoop, right? They would have come from an area now known as Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia. Astrology was expressly forbidden by God to His people. So we know that these guys are not Jewish. They're not followers of the one true God. Yet, here they are, smack in the middle of our story. More on that in a little bit. We also just met a guy named Herod, uh, or kind of, kind of known as King Herod, even though he was really more of a governor of the region. Herod was appointed by Caesar himself to govern this area of the Roman Empire. He was ruthless in ruling this territory, and he was pretty unstable in his own 
psyche. In fact, history shows he was extremely insecure regarding his place on his local throne. His suspicions and his jealousy would lead to the murder of several of his own children, the death of his wife, as well as an uncle, and some in-laws. I mean, this guy didn't want anyone threatening his power. More on him later, too. But these are our characters this morning, Herod and the Magi, or the wise men. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. So, what's happening right here? The Magi come into town. They're from far away. They, they kind of have their own way of looking at the world, and they've said, hey, uh, we've seen a star and, and we believe it means something. King Herod then also calls up all the Jewish religious experts in town and says, what do you guys think about what these guys are saying? And they consult our Old Testament, the Jewish Scriptures, and they pull up a passage from Micah chapter 5. And it says, for this is what the prophet has written. You, Bethlehem, out of, all will be, out, out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So, a prophecy written centuries before saying that one day a king will be born, a ruler, and that king will be born in Bethlehem. So, Herod's putting all this information together. Verse 7, Herod calls the Magi secretly and finds out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. Now, that's not true. He has nefarious motives, which we're going to see in a minute, but he's trying to trick the Magi. He says, you go look for this king. I want to go worship him too. That's why you're here. You go ahead and fulfill what you came here to do. Go look for the infant king, and then let me know. Herod was threatened by Jesus, the king. He might have been a little baby at this moment, but he was nonetheless a king. And a threat, as far as Herod was concerned, to his power. Verse 9, now, after they, the Magi, had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star uh, they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, let's go a little deeper into what is happening here. As we said, the Magi, and it's not a mistake that this word is close to magic and magician. First, same four letters, because that's, that that's absolutely the idea of who they are. They're, they're people well-versed in kind of the mystical, stargazing, future-telling, quasi-supernatural kind of, of things. They were essentially well-respected, traveling, horoscope consultants. That's what you could call the, the Magi. And what they were noticing, though, what they were noticing was real. It really Happened According to a professor named Colin Humphreys at Cambridge University, a notable comet really did appear in this area of the world, in the night sky, at the time that we now understand Christ to have been born. And these magi would have had the know-how and the background to see the significance from their view of the world and what was important to them. They would have had the ability to see the significance of this comet and be motivated to chase it. Not only that, but the skies of the times 
uh, in that, in that ye- those years leading up to Jesus' birth would have sent all kinds of signals to people for whom this kind of thing made some sense. God used this empty, human-made language, so to speak, of astrology, which God has expressly said doesn't in the end mean anything. But for these guys, it was their way of seeing the world. And God was using it to get their attention. Jupiter and Saturn had come together against the backdrop of Pisces. All this stuff that, that for these guys meant something. It's kind of like I picture God's like, watch this. These guys, you know, they don't, know, they don't yet know about me. They don't yet know about the, the one true God. Uh, they got all this stuff that they've kind of concocted and it means something to them. I'm even going to use that to get their attention so that they can meet my son. Jupiter and Saturn are doing their thing, signifying a son of God would be born in Israel. The Magi would have told Herod that this happened three times to reinforce the message. Then there was some triple massing of planets, according to this professor at Cambridge, and the common is now hanging there in the sky, not unlike a star, pointing the way. Now, I don't know a lot about this kind of stuff, but Colin Humphreys of Cambridge University seems to, and I sure find it, Interesting. So this is kind of a little bit of the backstory of these interesting characters finding their way into the Christmas story. So at this point, they now arrive and find the Holy Family. Verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So now it's been a few weeks or maybe even a few months after Jesus' birth, and the words of the angel to Mary must have rung in her ears as she now sees these strange astrologers from a foreign land bowing before her baby boy as a king. That is an amazing scene when you stop and think about it. Now a final word here about the Magi, at least for the moment. I love the fact that when they saw, finally found Jesus, what did they do? It says they opened their treasures. They did not come to Jesus empty-handed. Now, is that because Jesus is a demanding king who taxes his subjects? No, not at all. It's because Jesus is a worthy king. And when you see Jesus, and this is true for you and for me as well, when we see Jesus for who he is, We want to honor Him by giving Him something precious. Now, I don't have much gold, frankincense, and myrrh lying around. I give Him my life. I open up the treasure of my own heart, of my soul, of my life. They found Jesus. Many of us in this room have done the same. We have found Jesus. We've found the truth of Jesus. We've found the grace of Jesus. We've discovered how beautiful and life-changing Jesus is in our lives, His grace and His truth. And we've opened up ourselves, our treasures, our hearts, our lives, and given them to Him. That's what happens here. And what a moment it is, right, to see this happening, to picture the scene so, so far we've had a pretty neat story, right? God's kind of sending signals even to those in faraway lands that, that something significant has happened. A king has been born. The Son of God has been born. And we see this amazing scene of these magi now bowing before the baby Jesus. But it is now at this moment in our story that the score would go from glorious and uplifting to ominous 
and chilling because the story is not yet over. We've still got Herod to deal with. Verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, remember Herod said, hey, find the, find the baby and then come back to me and let me know what you see. They return to their country by another route so they don't go through Jerusalem. Herod is not going to get the intel that he's been waiting for. Verse 13, so when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. We think of the death threats that Jesus faced and the fact that he eventually went to the cross. Man, he faced them from birth. People wanting to take his life. So a dream tells the Magi to forget about King Herod, and an angel warns Joseph to take off out of town, even out of the country. And Herod sits wondering when the Magi are going to give him the lowdown about the newborn Bethlehem king. And eventually he realizes he's been left in the dark. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So threatened was he by all this Old Testament prophecy and New Age stargazing pointing to a king that he just had all the little boys in Bethlehem and its countryside killed up to two years old for good measure. Philip Yancey writes about this in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. He says, I have never seen a Christmas card depicting that state-sponsored act of terror, but it too was part of Christ's coming. It too is part of our story. The tragedy of it, the evil of it, the darkness of it, the, the psychoticness of it, if that's a word. Born against uh, born amidst genocide, fleeing as a refugee, this is Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. Jesus knows human suffering and tragedy and conflict. Jesus appreciates and understands societal and political upheaval and tension. There is nothing about this that as Jesus begins to grow up and learn some of the events of his own birth and, and the trauma that his own family went through, there is nothing about this that is anything less than traumatic and impacting and real. Jesus understands it. Genocide. Being a refugee. Now, I mentioned that Herod was unstable. That he was a violent egomaniac, really. Five days before his own death, just as an example, Herod ordered the arrest of many citizens and decreed that they be executed on the day of his death just to ensure a proper atmosphere of mourning in the region. So this guy was messed up, right? And so for someone like him, the extermination of some innocent toddlers was a small and sadly easy thing. Now, our chapter of this story ends with the family returning to Israel, specifically Nazareth. Verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. 
So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Now, I think we all can agree, this is a pretty uh, trippy chapter in the Christmas story, right? Not necessarily something that you, you see in your nativity set, totally depicted. A few wise men, sure, but all that other stuff, that's messed up. Joseph and Mary found themselves caught in a drama that was equal parts holy and horrific. Angelic visitations, escapes to another nation, the jealousy of a psychopathic king. Something epic was happening. A kingdom was arriving. And not just any kingdom, but the kingdom of God, the creator of the universe. Jesus was born and rulers took notice. Plots and death threats followed Jesus from birth. This was the, as we mentioned earlier, this was the first but far from the last attempt on his life. Eventually, and at a time of his choosing, he succumbed to those intentions. So what are we to make of all this? Two things, I think, at least to me. First, Jesus is the king for everyone. And two, there's room for only one king. See, what I find most interesting and inspiring in our story this morning is this. God loves those respected traveling royal horoscope consultants. He knows them. He's aware of them. He sees them. As, and He loves them as much as anyone. And He sent them a signal that meant something to them. A light in the night sky. That Jesus sees the whole world that, I mean, that God sees the whole world. God sees every culture. God sees every person. God's aware of the heartache and the need and the hunger of every soul. No one goes unnoticed by Him. Here these guys are. They're of another culture. They're far away geographically. They're far from the faith of the one true God. And yet, God sees and knows them. When God throws a baby shower, no one can predict who He'll include as guests, right? That is something about God that we can count on. That God wants to include people. These might be the exact people most people at the time would have excluded from such, a, from such an event, right? Stargazers from far away. I mean, that's not the person you would think of first. You might think of the scribes and the teachers of the law and the religious leaders who have been poring over Old Testament prophecy awaiting the Messiah. You might even think about uh, inviting people of power and prestige who might be able to support the Holy Family and, and give them what they need so as they're raising this young baby who will one day become a mighty teacher and even king of Israel. These are the kinds of things you might predict would happen when Jesus was born. And God's like, no, watch this. I'm going to do something you would never predict. And He is still, God is the same today as He ever was. And you might be someone who you think, I'm probably excluded from this story, right? This is a story about other people. People who got their stuff together. People who know more about God than I do, or they read their Bible a lot more. Maybe they were raised in church. I never was. There's all kinds of reasons that we might choose to exclude ourselves from the story. But hear this this morning. God's not excluded you at all. He knows and loves you. He's aware of all the things that have taken place in your life right up to this very moment. And He very much wants to include you in His story. God gave these signs to those people who did not know Him. 
Signs that a king had been born, and if Christmas is anything in our culture, it is that. Think about it. The lights we hang, the the songs we sing, Christmas in our culture is still a sign to everyone around that something happened. Something big. The Magi figured it out, and eventually so many others did too, and others do even today. Jesus is the king for everyone. And in his own twisted way, Herod reminds us of this second point, there's only room for one king. And there's only room for one in my heart and my life. There's only room for one king in your heart and in your life. It can be Jesus. It may be ourselves. Or it might be someone or something else entirely. But we all have someone or something that we've decided is the ruler of our life. The one on the throne. Chances are pretty good the main contender for that throne is me. I want to be in charge. I want to uh, be the king of my own life. And so a central question is, who will be the king of our heart, our self? Will it be us or will it be God? Will it be things that are created, including ourselves, or will it be our creator? See, our human drive to be king... And to remove all competing kings is, like Herod's, really a delirium. We think it's best when we're in charge. We are always wrong. Let me say that one more time. We think it's best when we're in charge. We are always wrong. An essence of Christianity is admitting that. Life according to my own terms, done my own way, mm -mm. I figured it out. It's not working, and it's not worth it. When a king is born, there are repercussions. Nothing stays the same. We we see Jesus causing rulers and and even their advisors to take notice and even get desperate. Christmas brings this front and center, whether we like it or not. A king has come. What are we going to do about it? Timothy Keller writes in his book, Hidden Christmas, no one is really neutral about whether Christmas is true. If the Son of God was really born in a manger, then we have lost the right to be in charge of our lives. Hmm. That's true. If God has come and made Himself so known, so real, as to become a living human being, then man, that's got to realign my priorities. That's a truth that as it lands on me, I can't ignore. I'm going to have to respond to that in some way. That's a big deal that God would do such a thing. What does it say about what He thinks of me? What I mean to Him? What we mean to Him? That He would go to those lengths. So all of this to say, if a king of this magnitude really did exist, or does exist, His kingdom must mean something to us today. And of course it does, doesn't it? It means everything. We pray it as He taught us to pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. We seek it as He taught us to do so. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Everything else will be given to you as well. We pray it, we seek it, we say it. He instructs His disciples, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. This is a big deal. Kingdom of heaven has come near. It absolutely has. If you grabbed a bread and cup on your way in, I'd invite you to go ahead and take it into your hands now as we 
think about this story and we think about all that we've learned and kind of just taken in and, and read here, every week we stop and we take the bread and the cup to remind ourselves of exactly who we are and who Jesus is. Remember that question that the wise men asked. We open, the story opened with this question. Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Our answer that we now know is true and we celebrate it every week in communion is he's here. That's where he is. He's here. He would die on a cross murdered by those who were threatened by his royalty. And even, check this out, just, let's just remind ourselves for a second of the, the, the continuity of the, of the stories that we read in the Bible, these very true and powerful stories. A sign would be nailed over his head on that cross that declared him a king, literally answering the question of the Magi, because the sign read exactly these words, the king of the Jews. Where is the one born king of the Jews? He's on a cross, dying for us. He didn't stay there. He rose again, amen. He walked out of his own tomb. But where is the one now born king of the Jews? We know he's promised he lives with us. In our yes to him, he lives in us by his spirit. So as we take the bread this morning, let us rem remember the words of that king who said, this is my body given for you. A king who would give his life for his subjects. Not ask them first to give their lives, but first he gives their, his to them. He said, that's what this cup represents. My blood shed to seal a brand new promise from God. A promise of love and grace. Let's take and drink and remember him and thank him for it. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for stories like this one that remind us of just how real and nitty-gritty um, the, the story is of, of the Scriptures, including this story of your birth, Lord Jesus. Lord, as we think about the motivations of characters um, in such stories, we think of our own motivations. We think of our own character. We ask God that you would help us to, to see ourselves in a story that you're continuing to tell, that you continue to have a people on the earth. You continue to reveal yourself to those who are seeking truth. You continue to love people and include them, not exclude them. Help us to see that in this story and in the stories we're living here today. Thank you, Lord, for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.